Hello and welcome. I'm Sophie Kilvert and today I'm delighted to be joined by Tony Gannon, founder and chief investment officer of Abbey Capital. Abbey Capital are the world's largest manager of multi-manager CTA funds and our aim today is to lift the lid on what that means and what can sometimes be a complicated part of our portfolios. And by doing that, hopefully we can bring an understanding about why we work with managers like Tony and the benefit that they bring to your portfolios. Now, as many of you will know, we break down the portfolio into two sides, the return assets and the diversifying assets. Now, on the return asset side, we have the likes of equities and other assets that we think will behave in a similar way to them. We expect them to be the drivers of growth, particularly when times are good. Then on the other side, we have the diversifying assets. So those assets that we hope will provide protection to our portfolios when times aren't so good. Now, to do their job, they have to act independently of the return assets or be negatively correlated to them. And this is where Tony fits in. And to that end, we've been working with Abby since 2010. Now, the managed futures industry isn't small. It represents around 10% of the total hedge fund industry. That's around $320 billion. But it's not exactly mainstream either. So, Tony, before we delve into the nitty-gritty itself, how did you find yourself here? Yeah, okay. Thanks, Sophie, and good to be with you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. My, my background, my academic background was in finance and, and business. Uh, and literally back in the late 80s in Dublin, Ireland, uh, I answered an advert in the paper, traders wanted no experience necessary. So it was a great opportunity. Uh, it, was, it was a very different Dublin. It was a 20% unemployment. There was a huge number went for the role. And we ended up, a team of six of us were lucky to get into this uh, fairly entrepreneurial firm called Gandon Fund Management. And uh, it was a trading house that traded in futures. So I got exposure straight away to futures and they had a because of that entrepreneurial uh, ethos that they had, they really allowed us to experiment and allowed us to get exposure to different trading styles. And for me, that was very useful, particularly for uh, as I built up Abbey later on, a lot of the lessons, the early lessons I learned back then in uh, in Gandon really stood, stood to me uh, as I analyze managers. That's that's the core function I do today. Uh, I started as a discretionary macro trader, which is uh, using politics and economics to trade. Uh, I then developed to becoming a short-term trader. A uh, short-term trader has nearly throws economics out the window and just looks at sort of uh, small intraday moves. And they, they can often be just technically driven uh, or, you know, they could be driven on news, that a news item comes, the market moves quickly and trying to capture a small move. Uh, and then uh, in the late 80s, uh, in 89, I developed a trend following, a long-term trend following system. Uh, and really, the, the, the difference between that and the short term is it takes a much longer term approach and uh, very sustained, focused approach to, to uh, trading markets and trying to capture big sort of moves uh, in either direction. So and that's, that's the key element to the trend following. Uh, that was quite successful, and we actually, myself and a team, left and did a did a joint venture with AIB, which was Ireland's largest bank, and we created another managed futures uh, trading operation through the 90s that that was quite successful, and we were we were one of the the top 10 when I left at the end of 2000 to. 
set up uh, Abbey Capital. And I, I suppose one of the, the reasons why I saw an opportunity to set up Abbey Capital was that uh, I had looked at a lot of the firms that had tried to set up uh, trading, uh, trading rooms with loads of traders inside in one area. And that's, that's always quite difficult because it's really hard to get people from around the world to go to one centre, be it London, New York, uh, and obviously even more difficult in Dublin. But I saw the opportunity with the way technology had improved, suddenly people were able to work. Uh, and it's funny because we're now in this virtual world post-COVID, <laughs> but back then this was the first element of the virtual world that people, originally when I started trading, you had to be in the big bank, you had to be in Citibank, you had to be in Barclays, you had, you had to have be surrounded by a team of risk managers and controls, et cetera, because suddenly they were able to develop um, systematic controls of, you know, by, through the brokers, by able to control margin, et cetera, people were beginning to develop out on their own in remote places, in different places uh, off the beaten track. And the other development we saw was the development of managed accounts. And what managed accounts are is the facility to be able to actually uh, have the trader trade into your account. So in other words, you, you get full visibility of all the trades and you can close that trader out straight away. So that, the culmination of the two of those made Abbey Capital possible. And really, uh, often when I look at Abbey Capital, I sort of see it nearly as a, a, a virtual trading room, you know, with over uh, 20 different managers throughout the world uh, trading in different styles, uh, very very similar to what we were trying to achieve originally uh, in Gandon and then in, in Allied Irish and in, in some of the, the multi-trading houses across the world. And that's that's really the background of what led up to forming Abbey Capital back in 2000. We can take it back a couple of steps. When you formed Abbey Capital, what Abbey Capital is trying to do what, what, in most simple terms, how would you describe what a managed future is and, and what is it intending to, to do effectively? Yeah, well, well what, a, what a managed futures, at, at its core, the main driver behind managed futures has been trend following. So that's the, that's the predominant trading strategy that we see in managed futures. And there are, there are other satellite strategies around that. But, but at its core, most managed futures uh, traders are trying to capture trends out of the markets, so large moves out of the markets. And that's really where their focus is. And the, the really differential about managed futures against traditional asset managers and even against some long short players in the hedge fund world is that the managed futures have no bias. So they don't care, are they long, are they short? And they don't care if it's in equities, if it's in bonds, if it's in commodities, gold, energy, uh, uh, metals uh, or, or currencies. And the beauty of that is that this gives you an opportunity to have a real uncorrelated return with any asset class. And that's, that's the real interesting thing about managed futures. It's because of that uh, diversity that it, it gives them the ability to do that. And really its goal is to try and provide returns you know, in in uh, you know in in times when there are strong moves in the marketplace, and that can be uh, like take equities. So obviously, if there's a bullish market in equities and we've had a long uptrend, managed futures as an industry will typically be long. So they'll be long that, and that's typically a profitable period for them. 
where, where they get hurt is when the markets reverse. So if the markets reverse at the very start, they get out of the, they, they get obviously the, the price moves slightly against them from where they were. They get out of that position, get flat again, and then look for the next move down. So if we have a, uh, and, and I suppose if that next move down is a bear market, then managed futures typically do quite well in bear markets because what a, what a bear market is, obviously it's, it's a prolonged trend downwards. Uh, the other area where managed futures finds it tough is when markets whipsaw around. So that's the environment where it can be, it can be difficult for time to time at managed futures. But the core element is they're trying to benefit when we get these big moves in the market. So when you're looking at your own portfolio and, and uh, you know, your focus obviously is that you have a large equity element and to provide some diversification with that, Managed Futures role is to provide a diversification with that. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it will always provide returns right at the moment of the return, but the strategy is designed when you get a long, a long-term move, i.e., a prolonged bear market. That's when you expect managed futures to excel, and you know historically we've we've seen that over the past. Perfect. And your job at Abbey is, is part of it is effectively managing the managers, as it, as it were, looking for those good managers to to have in effectively the portfolio, which is reasonably similar to, to part of the, the Rothschild and Co. portfolios when we outsource some of the investment management man, investment management to, to other managers. Now, our process is obviously very detailed. It's, it's rigorous. We need to understand the managers and how they work. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you choose the managers to fit in, in the Abbey portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. De delighted to do that. And I suppose uh, because I, I operated originally on the other side as a, as a manager myself, and now, now uh, for the last 20 years have been in the other seat, so it was a bit of the uh, poacher turned gamekeeper uh, uh, approach. So, and I suppose one of the key things I'd say is that Many people, obviously, the, the managed futures managers tend to use computers. They tend to be systematized traders, so they're taking a systematic approach. Uh, and often people think, oh, well, do you focus on the system? Do you focus on that? Now, clearly, obviously, the system is a fundamental part. But the real thing you're looking at is you're hiring pe people. That's what it is. So, it's, so it doesn't really matter that it's an underlying system that's driving the returns or has driven returns in the past. Uh, it's, it's really that you have to look at these people and see, you know, are, are they smart? Uh, are they, uh, are, are, do they have innovation? Have, have they ability to innovate? You know, so, and really the innovation is very important because markets change from time to time. So you need that innovation. And then thirdly, one of the key points you need to have is, are they disciplined? Because the real risk is you can get some really, really clever people, you know, who think they know everything, and that's always a liability. So you need to have people who have a discipline and a risk management around that, and that's something that that's that's very core for us because you know you can have the greatest track record in the world, and then if you don't have good risk management, one blow up and the game is over. So it's really important to see that focus there, uh, and and typically the, the managers we hire are. They've, they've been, you know, they've been in the markets quite a bit, so they've lived through various cycles. So the real risk you can have is you come across somebody and you say, oh, they've been great, they've done really well, it's been fantastic these last five years. And then you look at the markets and you say, well, actually, these five years covered only a, a bull market or they covered only a bear market or whatever. 
And the real risk of people like that is that they haven't been tried and tested in the other environment. And I think that's that's a really important thing that we would look out for and we would we would we would detail out. Um, the other elements, like and like you guys do yourselves, and and you know we, we've been really impressed with the quality of Rothschild's due diligence. It's very intense. It's really an intense getting to know the people, knowing them really well, and we we feel we take that same approach with our managers. So, uh, and it's not just at principle to principle level because that's all fine. Principle to principle is important, and it's 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 it is an important part of of the relationship. But you have to drill down all the elements of of people's businesses, you know, to the the, the back office, to, you know, to the uh, research side, to the compliance side. And what we try and do is build multi touch points during the the due diligence, so that we really get to know the innards of the manager. And you know, often uh, a very polished principal might be able to keep things running well and the cracks might appear in different areas within the manager. So it's really important to continue to do that. And indeed, one of the things we, we, you know, we do is we, we do on-site due diligence uh, and we do those separately. So I myself visit separately to uh, my CEO, uh, Mick Swift. We don't look at each other's reports. So we do independent reports and come back. So we, want, we don't want any bias between ourselves, come back, see do we both feel the same thing. And then independent of that, we also have an independent ops due diligence, operations due diligence. And the importance about that is because there's always a risk that, you know, investment people fall in love with some great investment style. And, you know, and, and you can be in the business for years and still have this bias to say, wow, this, this is really adding to our portfolio. It's been great. And it is really good to have somebody totally independent uh, that has none of that distraction or passion for the investment side and is focused on really important on the operation side because you know you can have again a great investment and if you've bad operations behind it you can have real trouble and so it's really important for you know when we look at when we look at those elements and that's that's and that's ops due diligence person has a veto over the investment and that's that's a really important element to what we do uh, and then, then finally, one of the things that I'd say as well as part of the process is that we don't chase return. So sometimes I'll meet a manager and I actually don't want to see their returns. So I don't want to see them at the start. And that, that might seem a mad thing to do. Now, obviously, I'll have an idea uh, basically of how they've returned. But sometimes, obviously, that research will be done later. But sometimes you want to hear, hear the person, don't be distracted by the numbers and say, what's what's driven their performance because often the biggest mistake we see in managed futures is that people chase returns so they see the great trader last year made xyz and it ties into some marketing story that they've just developed a new trading style or something and suddenly big money moves into them they might have done just done well last year just because commodities were very strong and they were a commodity specialist so what i'd say is you have to try and um, don't chase the returns, watch the environment. And sometimes you get better opportunities from managers, you know, where they've had a little bit of difficulty. You're able to go in and see, well, why did this difficulty occur? Did they manage that difficulty well, which is a key point that you want to do, because everybody is going to be, everybody will always face a bad day. That's something, and we always say that to people. The only thing we can guarantee is that there's some time we will 
cause you a loss in a drawdown situation. You, you, it's impossible to always deliver returns in every environment. So, so, um, so we often see, you can see things that managers do in, that, in, in a poor environment, see how they managed it, and that can tell you a lot more and give you a lot of confidence with the manager going forward. So ho hopefully that gives you a feel of our, our philosophy and our thought process behind that. It does, yes. And you mentioned return and not chasing it. I think at the moment what everyone is probably looking for is kind of that holy grail of, of uncorrelated returns. We saw how important that is now, particularly earlier this year, uh, where in Q1 we saw bonds and equities a lot of the time moving in a very similar fashion. So we're trying to find that uncorrelated return to provide protection in portfolios. People are constantly looking for, for new ways to do it. Uh, are managed futures part of the answer? Yeah, well, in, in, my, in my belief, they are. And, and in fact, in, in, and I suppose they, it, it's, you know, it's a key issue what you're talking about. That, and particularly, actually, interesting enough, it's even more important with the current risk of the low levels of where bond yields are at. So in other words, obviously, if you look at world, the average world bond yields, if we take the major four, is sub a percent. So you know, on 10-year ten ten money. So obviously the old portfolio solution of the 60-40 equity bond clearly has problems at the moment. So how, how, do, you, how do you handle that? So how do you get, there, there was a really easy way to get diversification historically, but obviously everything when you look historically is easy. Uh, <laughs> but, but if you look back, yeah, say, say when yields were seven, 8% in bonds, you had something that would deliver that for you for 10 years. Now you have something that's not giving you any diversification for 10 years. So now you're sort of saying, well, OK, I now have my big equity chunk, which obviously equities for the long term makes, you know, has always made sense as part of investments. And that's 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 that, that's the, the, the main philosophy behind investment. Uh, so how do you get that diversifier? So where do you go for it? And now that bonds aren't there, it, it really relies more now on looking at these alternative strategies. And. So when you're looking at alternative strategy, you have to say, well, okay, what's, let's look at, obviously you look at things like correlation. You see, how is it correlated in the past? Uh, but also you have to say, why was it correlated that way in the past? Because for example, like bonds and equities, for example, they're, uh, clearly they've had that negative correlation over the past 10 plus years. But if you go back 20 years, the, the correlation was the other way around. So, so there is, there's a real chance that you can get structural correlation shifts that change. So you want to be really careful that if you invest in something just because it had a 10-year correlation that was, was, was zero or, or a minus, that could flip. And that's, that's really important in your portfolio. So if you look at managed futures, you have to ask the question, what drives the correlation? So what drove it in the past? And why would you expect that to happen in the future? And I suppose if, if you look at managed futures, back to what I was saying about this bi-directional nature. So it doesn't care, is it long or is it short? It just follows the moves. So by definition, it's structured. And, and it, the funny thing about managed futures is it has, while it has a long-term correlation of close to zero with uh, equities and also a very low correlation with bonds as well, the correlation with equities, it, it changes based on the type of equity market environment. So in other words, in a bullish equity market environment, managed futures is typically long equities. So it'll typically have a positive correlation in a bullish market, which is what you want. Obviously, you, you, you do want to be 
long equities if there's a big, big up move. In a down move, it tends to have a negative correlation because typically it's going to be short if it's a prolonged equity bear market, i.e. a downtrend, it'll be uh, short equities with a negative correlation. And then in the parts where it flips around, it has a zero correlation. Now, because of that structuring, I think it gives you confidence in the historic numbers and also gives you confidence that there shouldn't be a flip around. Uh, like even So if the environment changes from bullish to bearish, one would expect, because of the way the trend following is designed, for those systems to change positions. And, and that applies across uh, equities. It also applies across bonds, currencies, and commodities. So that's that's what we feel about about uh, managed futures there. So I think it can it can earn its place in in the portfolio. It's interesting when we were talking to to some clients, particularly last year, when we had such a long bull run, and I think some clients were questioning the the place for the diversifying assets in our portfolio, uh, particularly when a 100% equity portfolio, in, in fact, would have done a great job of after the last few years. And I think this year in particular, as we discussed briefly earlier, has given us a chance to really see strategies like this in, in action. Did the managed futures do what we expected at the beginning of this year? Yeah, it, interesting enough. And and it, it did quite well. And, and I suppose one of the things, it's it's been an interesting year for managed futures. Obviously, where we are at the moment, equities now are roughly unchanged, which is, which is, you know, if you look at the U.S., obviously, uh, from from the perspective that we've seen from this year, um, we obviously had very difficult Q1 for for equities. Uh, in that situation, managed futures had actually come into the year as an industry long equities because we'd had a, a bullish move, obviously, uh, towards the end of 2019, uh, and that followed followed through to the start of of this year with a quick reversal. Uh, managed Futures lost money on equities this year, so the industry lost money on equities, but it actually profited from positions in bonds. Uh, it also was short energy, and it was it was long the dollar versus the euro. So this is the interesting thing, that even though they were the Managed Futures industry was long equities, it was actually, uh, it, and it, obviously that element cost the money portfolio, the fact that they were doing well in commodities and bond and currency markets, the other strategies, uh, helped generate a positive return for the industry, for most, most of the industry across Q1. Uh, now, the difficulty was when equity markets then recovered into Q2, uh, managed futures found that tougher. And obviously, they, we ended up in a situation where the, a lot of those trends that had happened had reversed. And when a trend reverses, that's a bad environment for managed futures. And in that situation, managed futures gave back those returns. However, when we go back and analyze it and look at it, the, the reality was that managed futures positions went from, then, as I said, long equities to getting short equities. They were long bonds, they were short uh, energy, et cetera. If the market had continued to go down and became a prolonged bear market, one would have expected managed futures to keep those short equity positions, the long bond positions, and in that situation, you would you you would be expecting that they might be able to deliver good good returns in that environment with that follow-on. Where they get hurt, obviously, is when when you get that reversal. So that's that's really our our analysis of the year. Uh, so clearly, the the industry is relatively flat for the year, but has acted very differently. If you look at the the, the major months, it's been a very different uh, uh, return profile than than equities over mm -hmm. that period. 
And we get an idea there from you as to the fact that actually the the investments are reasonably widely spread out. You're talking about obviously extras, bonds, commodities, currency. Um, I think some people's perception perhaps is that when they go away from the mainstream into possibly less traditional strategies, which, which you could argue this is, that they might find that in a stressed market, there's a liquidity dries up. And, and once they're in, they might find it hard to get out. Is that the case? Is that fair? Yeah, well, I, and it's a very valid fear for people to have in stress times because we, we saw what happened in the global financial crisis in 2008. When we get these distressed environments, sometimes you get these ultra-distressed assets that really become a great bargain at another part, not, not, in, not in obviously our managed futures world, but in our clients' world where they'll have some good, you know, be it a venture capital opportunity or be it a, be it a single stock opportunity. But you need the cash to take advantage of that. And so that's often where managed futures really comes into play to be able to provide the cash to clients. It's, it's a tough one for us in the business because obviously we lose assets at that time. But my philosophy is, you know, it's the client's money. They take it's daily dealing. If it's daily dealing in a fund, the, the, the client should be should be able to do daily dealing or monthly dealing, etc. So uh, and I think it does shine a good light in managed futures. And people really appreciated that back in, in 08, 09. And I, I suspect possibly in, in future times to, to come as well. No one knows quite what's going to be ahead of us at the moment. And I think um, given in, in the UK where we're going, well, in, the, in England, we're going back into to another lockdown. I think we're acutely aware that uncertainty is certainly the, the buzzword of the moment. It comes up in pretty much every conversation I have. So with that around... Is this a time, do you think, for, for these alternative strategies and for managed futures to, to shine? Yeah, well, I, I, I think, like, I suppose we, we're never able to forecast when is going to be the, the greatest environment or is, is, it going to be, is it going to be a perfect environment next, next, next month or next year? So, so our philosophy is, like, I, I suppose if we look at it from what's the challenge, the big challenge for investors is finding those diversifying strategies, particularly given the low bond yields. So that's that's a real issue for uh, for clients at the moment, for investors. Uh, also, you know, in the times of stress, and you would you would imagine there are a lot of elements of potential stress points, you know, from uh, a whole range of world global macro issues to the pandemic, et cetera that could create more stress in the world, that can often get things more correlated with equities, which is problematic. And in our view, managed futures, you know, serves well there, as I said earlier, because of the nature of it. Uh, and that's that because of this core characteristics of bi-directionality and trading multiple markets. So what we would say is though, the biggest philosophy we would say is, in the past, we've always seen markets trend. When you get these big macro events, markets tend to trend. And in our view, you know, we expect that if there are big macro moves, we'll see trends develop, we'll see them follow through. And in that environment, that, that should create a good environment for managed futures, whether it's to the upside uh, in bullish moves or to the downside in bearish moves. Well, thank you very much for talking us through that today, Tony. We, we really appreciate it. And we can certainly see how that the managed futures and that style of management, the trend following, can certainly fit in our clients' portfolios to, to try and diversify a bit and to try and provide that uncorrelated return 
that we're looking for to, to give protection to our clients to, to counter on the, re, the return side of the portfolio. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Tony. Great. Thanks, Sophie, and, and enjoy the round of podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.